Hello and welcome to the Grace Avenue Church Podcast. As you listen to this message, I pray that you're built up, encouraged through God's Word, and I pray that His Holy Spirit leads you and guides you in the way that you should go. I pray that He gives you answers for your questions, healing and help for your life. Most importantly, I pray that this Word helps you to become more like Jesus and a greater influence for Him in our church and in your world. Now, let's grow together. Enjoy the message. All right. So, guys, many guys and girls, many, many years ago, um, I needed a pastor. Everybody needs a pastor, right? I get the honor to be your pastor, but I needed a pastor, too. And Pastor Frank came into my life uh, randomly. So, some people are, are, are new to Grace Avenue, so you don't, you don't know how our relationship actually came to be. But I reached out over Twitter, uh, just asking him a random question. And uh, through that, we ended up developing a relationship, um, and he has been here so many times over the years, speaking life. Sometimes he would come twice a year. Now, for those of you who don't know, uh, his influence over the years speaks internationally. Um, he's authored over 40 books, pastored over 40 years, uh, is a pastor to pastors nationally and internationally. He's apostolic. He's prophetic. He's a teacher. He just, he holds... All the keys, the great keys to seeing people become great. And so I was honored from the very beginning uh, to have him come into my life. He came in at the right season, right when Janelle and I needed some stable boundaries in our life to help guide this church while we were going through so much uh, years ago with the health crisis and everything that was happening. He just helped stabilize us in that season. So I just want you to know when you're hearing him today, uh, you're not just hearing legacy. You're not just hearing generations that have been impacted. You're hearing a, a personal friend, someone I honor, someone I admire, someone very, very important to me. Uh, he's here with his lovely wife, Sharon, who's an amazing, amazing woman of God. Can we just give her a hand this morning? Thank God for her. But could you do me the favor? Could you stand up and honor my pastor today, Pastor Frank Damasio? Let's just give him a welcome. Thank you for being with us today. All right. You may be seated. Uh, thank you, Daniel, for that uh, honorable introduction. I think you should just travel with me and introduce me everywhere. You know? Be a... Uh, be a great thing. Hey, it's good to be back uh, again at uh, Grace. Uh, it's been a while because of the pandemic and all the stuff that's been going on, but uh, here we are back again, and church is back again, and Jesus never left, by the way, uh, and we're uh, pushing ahead. I'm very, very uh, proud of Daniel and Janelle. They're navigating through uh, very rough waters the last couple of years, the whole church, U.S.-wide, worldwide, and a lot of churches that went into pandemic, because I'm connected with uh, several hundreds of churches, and a lot of churches that went into pandemic weak uh, came out weaker. Uh, churches that went into pandemic strong came out stronger. I think grace is stronger than it was before it went in to the pandemic. And I think a lot of that has to do with Daniel's leadership and Janelle and navigating and, you know, staying the course and knowing what things to really bring through in a time like this. Uh, I'm very, very excited about your new building. 
uh, and what is going on with that. You know, over our years, Sharon and I, you know, I've been ministering 45 years, and uh, we passed through two churches only, the one we pioneered and then the one we went back to that sent us out, the mother church. I went back and pastored that church. And so in the years that we have pastored, we have uh, purchased a lot of buildings and remodeled a lot of buildings. And I know what it's like for a church to face uh, that challenge. And I know what it's, it feels like as a pastor. You know, I, I, I'm a pastor. I'm a pastor teacher. You know, all the other things, the prophetic, apostolic, and all that is okay. I tell people all of the time, please don't call me apostolic because all of them died. Uh, you know, just I just stay with pastor. That's more safe, you know. Uh, but in, in challenging the church, I always had the, the, the tension of knowing the people because I was a hands-on pastor, even though we had a sizable church. I was hands-on with the people and mixed with the people and was, you know, etc. It would always be a tension for me to to raise money or to talk about money because I know their, their positions, I know their needs, I know where they're working, I know what they're doing, I know this one's out of work, I know that one's a widow, I know that one over there is a college student who, who has two dimes in his pocket. And so, you know, looking at the congregation, it always had that tension of, of raising the faith level. And, and uh, one, one of these times going through that process, the Holy Spirit really dealt with me uh, because I'm a, a very vulnerable preacher. I mean, I can't preach without heart. If I don't have the heart for it, I struggle. I'm not a professional. I connect with people at the heart level, and I talk to them as real people, and that's how I've always preached. And so if I, if I don't really believe something and grasp it, I can't fake it. You know, so I have to, I have to kind of do it with me first in order for me to ever present anything to the congregation. And the Holy Spirit really spoke to me one time and said, do you really believe the giving of the people is for the good of the church or the good of the person? I said, well, uh, I know the answer is A. <laughs> but I want to say B. But yes, I think the giving of an individual is a blessing on their giving. It, it's, it's for them. It is a time for them to sow seed and to reap harvest that they may never have ever reaped in their life. And my wife and I have practiced this. I told the Friday night group, you know, uh, we, we had fun. I kind of got carried away with my humor, but, you know, I've, I've asked the Lord to deliver me and it just hasn't happened. And so uh, looking at that, that one thing, as we have practiced, we have given when we did not have any right to do what we were doing. In the sense, if you looked at the books, looked at the numbers, you would say, Frank and Sharon, uh, no, you're, you're not going to do that. And that's been our life. Oh, yeah, yeah, we are going to do that. And then the Lord comes in and does uh, amazing things. And with our church, over the years, both churches we pastored, were, the people were blessed financially. The businesses were blessed financially. The people were looking for ways to give all the time to missionaries, to the uh, needy downtown, to whatever it was. They had learned uh, a humongous lesson in the scriptures. And let me lay it out for you just straight on, that I believe you can become an amazing giver, 
an amazing giver. I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, I can become an amazing giver. Some of you do that with such a lack of enthusiasm, you know. <laughs> There's 2,930 people in the Bible referred to. 2,930. Only a hundred of them can you study and find anything about their life. Some more than others, like Abraham is a few chapters, Isaac's a few chapters, Jacob, Moses, Joshua. You know, there's some of them that have not just a verse, but chapters about their life. Obviously, Jesus, Paul, and the disciples. Out of the hundred, if you would go through and study the hundred character studies that you have information on, that you could actually get to know that character, you will find that a lot of them, the larger percent, we're outstanding givers, and we model our whole giving after their life. When you think of the Abrahams and the Joshuas and the Ruths and the Alabaster Box and the New Testament, we, we honor those people that became the most amazing givers in all the Bible. And so I want to help you become an amazing giver. I don't want you to be an average giver. You know, people would look at you, people looked at you and say, hey, I really like you. You're just an average human being. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess that's a compliment, right? Well, yeah, you're just, just one level above D minus, but you're an average human being. Or someone comes up and says, you know, I've been watching you and your parenting, and I want to tell you, you're just an average parent. <laughs> well, you know, Geez, I thought we were above that. No, you're you're a C, C plus. You know, you're 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 just great. You're an average. Someone with your business comes up and says, "I've been watching you and watching you in church, and you're just an average businessman." I I so honor you. I wanna I wanna make my life like your life. I wanna be an average businessman. I don't wanna be good or be great. I'd love to just be average. You would just kind of look at them. Look at yourself and say, no, I, I, I do not want to be an average anything. Can I hear an amen out there? I don't, I don't want to be an average anything. And can you imagine the people in the Bible, and I'm going to refer to some and some definitions, stories that goes with this, that the people in the Bible that gave, they gave many times, many times they gave out of their need, not out of their surplus. And so they begin to show us that giving is something that is also, and you've got to get a hold of this, giving is a spiritual work. It's not a natural financial work. It's a spiritual work. Giving is one of the only doctrines in the Bible that actually refers to what happens in the heavenlies when a person gives, Malachi 3. It's one of those in, in the book of Nehemiah, in the, in, in the scriptures, there's something that happens when a person gives. And when that supernatural giving takes place, something happens in the heavens. And so when I realized that, my giving changed from giving to expectation. I'm giving and looking for things to get stirred up. I'm, I'm giving and looking for things to happen. I know what happens when there's sacrificial giving. I know what happens when there's sacrificial giving. There's something that is cut loose in the life of the person and in the life of the heavenlies, and things begin to move around, and God begins to become more of a, not a strange God, but a now God for you, and your giving becomes something so real 
that in your hand it's not a dollar, it's not a checkbook, it's not a transfer on the device. It's a seed. It's a seed. You're a manager. Okay, I'm putting this seed in the ground. Okay, where will that seed end up? Because I'm going to plant it right now and I'm going to watch it and I don't know what will happen, but I'm expecting God to do some marvelous things. Can I hear an amen? amen. Giving is also like prayer and other worship and other things in the Bible. Giving is a choice that you make. The person next to you might not make that choice. Or your spouse might not make that choice. But giving is a choice. You choose to be a giver. You choose to be a generous giver. Everybody in the room could be a generous giver. But not everybody in this room is a generous giver. Everybody in this room could tithe. But not everybody in this room is tithing. Because you look at your statement instead of the verse. You look at your, your budget and you say, when I can afford it, that's what we call, when I live by unbelief, I will not give my tithe. When I live by faith, I'll give my tithe on whatever the tithe is on. I'll never hold it back. We had a little jar when we began our marriage, and the tithe went into that jar, and we didn't borrow from it. Matter of fact, that's a scripture that says in the Bible, do not borrow from your tithe. And if you do, pay it back with 20%. God was a banker, I'm telling you. God was a banker. He didn't cut anybody any slack on that. Why? Because it's not just a natural thing. It's a spiritual thing. It has to do with your heart. Wherever your treasure is, there is your heart. And so a person who gives trust and they have faith. And so when you're tithing and you look at what you can't do, boy, if I start tithing, I won't even be able to pay my bills. That's unbelief. You have to believe that when you tithe, God can do more with your 90% than you're doing with your 100%. And so all of a sudden, you have a little bit of faith. And I remember the first time I tithed, it was like, geez, God, why don't you do 1%? I mean, you don't need it. I'm telling you, you don't need my $8.60. I need it. You don't. It's not a matter that God needs your money. God needs space in you to move you to different levels of faith. And if you have a level of faith for a little, you'll have a level of faith for a lot. If you can't give 10% and $10, don't be praying, God, give me a million dollars, and I will bless the church. I'll bless the needy. I will be the most amazing giver this church has ever seen. And God said, then why don't you give $1 for the 10 No, that hurts. That hurts right now. You know, but when I get a million, it won't hurt. You, you're only as good with your money in the little and the least are the most. That's also a scripture. If you're good with the least, he'll give you the most. If you can't handle the least, why would he give you more? You know, you're just going to gobble it up. God says, here's a handful of seed for you to sow. Make sure you sow it. <laughs> I ate that seed, and I am happy because nobody can take it from me. The devil can't do anything with it. This is scripture also. It's called a parable of the stewards and the parable of the gold. And Jesus covers all this stuff. Okay. I need to get on from the introduction. So, amazing givers. Here's my definition. I hope you take this down because you could put this in several places and remind yourself that this is a biblical definition of giving right here. 
by grace, we exceed the limits of expectation. That is what the hundred did. And the usual, as we become amazing givers. Going beyond extraordinary, miraculous giving. I want to be known in that area of going beyond the limits, beyond expectation, beyond the usual for sure. I'm not looking for average. I would like to be extraordinary. I would like to be in my lifetime an extraordinary person, miraculous giving, because I know that God will never waste a seed and that I choose, I choose to be an amazing giver. You don't have to talk me into it. I've chosen it. That's my goal. That's my life. I want to be able to give to college students. I want to be able to give to the poor. I want to be able to give to the church and building programs and missions. We always supported orphans. Sharon and I had uh, uh, one kid that we supported all the way through until he graduated from high school. Uh, we've always found places to put more money into besides just Never, we never tithe 10%. 10% is where God says, here's a standard. Below it would be bad. But honestly, we never tithe 10%. We always tithe 20 or 30. We always gave more than 10%. 10% is the minimum, and God never said, stay on the minimum because you're going to be average. I'm not going to stay on the minimum. I'm going to give as it comes in, and we'll increase our percentages over the years. And lo and behold, you begin to learn that God brings in more than you can eat up. And if you don't eat it up, you can bless a lot of people. So everyone say out loud, I choose. I choose. Okay, an amazing overflow. Luke 6, 38. Why are you laughing at me? What did I do? Huh? Sharon, are you criticizing me? <laughs> bad when the wife tried to correct you from the pew, you know. <laughs> Overflow, Luke 6.38, give. Everyone shout the word give. Yeah. Obviously, Jesus wasn't afraid of this word. And it would be given to you. Well, that sounds a little selfish, that my motivation would be to give, and it would be given to you. Jesus doesn't seem to uh, somehow go down in and measure the motivation say, but if you give so that you would get back something, that's a wrong motive. That's not what Jesus says. It, it absolutely is scripture for you to give and expect an overflow to return. And Jesus says, given it would be given to you a good measure. I wish I had time to take these four Greek words apart, but I don't. Uh, you'll just have to live without it the rest of your life. <laughs> You will have a good measure pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. For the measure you use will be the measure you receive. Ouch. Could he not have left that last sentence out? For the measure you use will be the measure you receive. There's a story about a king who was going through a famine, and his kingdom was going through a famine. And so he threw a big party at the castle. And he said to everybody, because they needed water for the moat around the castle, he said to everybody, I want you to come to my party, and I want you to bring water with you. Whatever you want to bring it in, 
you know, whatever container you bring, and I want everyone to bring the water to the feast. So everybody did. And all kinds, some with buckets, some with little cups, some with a little snuff box. Yet they all had the different containers, and they brought it in. Then at the end of the feast, the king threw open the curtains, and here's all this treasure. And he says, this treasure is for you. Everybody is clapping. And he says, here's the deal. With the cup or the bucket or the snuff box you brought in, that's the amount of treasure you can carry out. So if you brought water to the moat with a bucket, help yourself. If you came with a snuff box, a little square box, well, you'll maybe find one jewel in there that will fit. And so the principle of the king is so much the principle of the kingdom. The measure you use, the cup, the bucket, the snuff box, snuff box probably not a good thing to say, you know, but a makeup box, uh, makeup's not good either. That's unholy nuts. Uh, you know, so you, you, whatever, small container, big container, whatever. It, when it comes to giving, Jesus says, I will give you a good measure, shaken down, pressed down, and I will do something with what you give. But remember the principle, for the measure you use will be the measure you receive. And so if I'm going to sow seed and sow it with a measure, I have to go beyond the usual, beyond the ordinary, and I have to sow something that is scripturally right. Scriptural sowing for supernatural giving and receiving is called sacrificial. There, there's a realm of sacrifice in giving that changes the measure of the seed sown and changes the measure of receiving it back. I can prove that. Amazing givers go beyond. An attitude, and, and this would be, wouldn't you love to just be in a church like this? And maybe I'm in a church like this right now. An attitude of extravagance that compels us to give something that is astonishing. Bible, the 100, you start thinking in your mind, Genesis to Revelation, who gave things that were astonishing, incredible? Extraordinary because of its boldness. Even people saying, don't, don't, don't give that. That's ridiculous. Don't, don't empty that box on Jesus' feet. That's a waste. What are you doing? Giving in that realm understands something that other people do not understand. He's worthy of everything we have. He does expect us to live. I'm not saying to you, go sell your house and live on the street. If you did that, you'd have to come to Portland. You know, so. Uh, Mark 14. Mark 14, verse 3 and 4. Jesus was at Bethany. If you know your Bible, Bethany is quite the place that things happen. At this visit, uh, tell him I'm, I will answer as soon as I can. <laughs> that is funny. That's it. It's, it's okay. You didn't, you didn't confuse me at all. Where was I? <laughs> One time I was preaching in Eugene on the second coming of Christ, and I was talking about the coming of Christ and all the different scriptures, book of Revelation. I'm going through it. And uh, looking for 
the Messiah, looking for, and all of a sudden this guy pops up in the congregation. He has a white robe on. I should have known something was coming. <laughs> and he says, and he's a Rastafarian, so he has the long hair that's all, you know, braided together and wearing a white robe. And he popped up in the middle of my sentence and says, look no longer, I am here. <laughs> he really got my attention. And uh, from that point on, I just kept laughing. <laughs> God, how do I say to this guy, you're not, you know? Uh, you're, you're not the guy. <laughs> Giving, Bethany, we're back to Bethany. Jesus was at Bethany, a guest of Simon. You know your Bible? You remember Simon the leper who was healed by Jesus? Well, now Jesus is in his town, and Jesus goes to his house, the healed leper. While he was eating dinner, a woman came up carrying a bottle of very expensive perfume. Jesus wasn't alone in this room, as we find from the Gospel of Luke. And we find what this woman was actually doing. And we also find out that this woman had a horrible reputation. She was a woman known in the city, but not for good. We know that from the other Gospels. The other Gospels also say that she stood behind Jesus for a long time weeping before she ever came around to do this on his feet, to put the oil. And it says that she wiped her tears with her hair, which means her hair was down. Absolute no-no in Jesus' time for a woman's hair to be down. And so she's breaking all the rules. She's opening the bottle. She poured it on his head. And we're, we're, talking, we're talking a lot of oil here. It wasn't just a little dab of do you. It was, <laughs> it was a flow of oil that was all over Jesus' head. It would have been very messy. And some of the guests became furious among themselves. That's criminal. A sheer waste. Why would you let, if you knew who this woman was, you would never, ever let her do this. And Jesus rebukes them to go on. If you really knew who I was and really respected who I was, she's anointing me because she sees the resurrection. She knows I'm the Messiah. And that's what it says in the Bible. She sees something in me and in the resurrection. And she's anointing me for the day of burial. That's what it says. And he says, when the gospel is preached throughout the world, this woman's act will be preached also because she gave something that was very valuable as a prophetic gift of who I was. You didn't wash my feet when I came in. You didn't give me any oil. You didn't do anything when I came here. This woman has given everything. 300 denarii would be what that was worth. And that would be one day's work. So she gave, you add it up. She gave a year salary of one day 300. That was a, a month salary. She gave way beyond what she had collected. And alabaster boxes were where you would save and actually give over as a legacy to your son and daughter because perfume was like banking. It would always get uh, more pricey the older it got. So this was a nest egg for this woman to hand to someone else, and she pours it all over Jesus. The value in giving is the revelation of who Jesus is. 
and also the revelation of how much he loves you, and also the revelation is nothing you give will ever be wasted, ever be wasted. This was an investment, but a lot of people don't understand this. This man, uh, this true story, uh, he was very frugal, worked his whole life. He was a, a good man, and uh, he, he was just um, held on to everything he owned. In the garage, in the attic, his bank account, he held on to it his whole life and just let it grow, and he had quite a bit of money sitting there. So he was dying. He was dying on his deathbed, and his wife was there, and he says, you have to promise me that when I'm dead, you will take my money from under the mattress, and you'll put it in my casket so that I can take it with me. And the wife said, okay, I'll do that. He dies. The wife kept her promise. She went in, got all the money, the day he died, went to the bank, deposited it, and wrote out a check and put it in the casket. <laughs> Here you go. <laughs> then she went on to enjoy life. <laughs> Giving is an opportunity. Say it with me. One more time. Do you really believe that? I mean, do you really believe that as you enter this new building phase, it's a special phase because it's above the tithe, it's above the offering, it's a generosity time, it's a maybe a once-in-a-lifetime time for this church. And you're, you'll, you'll be known as the people who brought in these other hundreds of people that are on their way to that building. There are hundreds on their way to that building. If I could take... The atmosphere in this room and the worship and the prayer and the unity and the thriving and, and the beauty and the fun and the party and eating tacos and all that you guys do after the services and just party on. If I could take Daniel and all the atmosphere, everything, and just drop it into that building that now has space to triple your attendance and you could triple your services. You're, you're talking about growing from maybe six to seven hundred to twelve to fifteen hundred overnight if you wanted to and those people walk into this atmosphere and they sit down on that chair you could truly say to them I bought that chair for you <laughs> what are you talking about I bought the building for you <laughs> we knew you were coming and it's all paid for come in and enjoy the feast come in and enjoy the present Come in and enjoy a relationship. Come in because we knew you were coming. So we invested in you. And that's exactly what you're doing. You're invested in broken marriages. When you give toward the building, give in this way, broken marriages healed. Prodigals returning. More room for people. More room for families. More room for education. A bigger footprint in our city. We are going to see all the lost people and the prodigal people come in. We're getting robes ready. We're getting rings ready. We're getting sandals ready for all these prodigals that are going to come home. And we're going to be ready for you. Yet this ceiling is so low, even the Holy Spirit's claustrophobic right now. I mean, you're, you're, talking, you're talking a different level here. 
All of a sudden, you go to a building that has high ceilings, a lot of room. You're going to go, my God, what do I do? I mean, will my worship still get up there? Yeah, yes, but your footprint, your footprint, it's going to be so much bigger for the right reason. You're not building a building because you're trying to make money on property. You're building a building because you want to redeem lives. It's an opportunity. Do you know where the word comes from? Opportunity. Before there were harbors in our great ocean cities, the boats, the ships, had to wait for the tide to come into shore. And if they missed that moment, if they missed the moment of the ship and the tide to get to shore, they would have to wait another day, another day. And so they had a word that they would use throughout the the ship as they were getting ready when they knew the swells were coming and the tide was rising. They would yell back and forth to everybody in Latin, opportu, this is opportu. Everybody knew that means we have minutes, we have seconds. We gotta get everything ready. Pull up the sails, pull up the anchor, get ready. Here comes the water. And they had to hit that at the perfect time. That's where the word opportunity comes from, where you hit that specific time, where you actually catch the wave that God has for you, and that wave comes, and, and every church has this. There are, there are some churches that miss that wave for reasons. They don't have the faith to do it. It's too far out there. Uh, we're just going to stay like we are. Then some people have thoughts like this. I like the church th- the size it is. Well, why don't you just go out and tell every unbeliever, I don't care if you get saved. Because I have friends, I have a church, and I like the little snuggle feeling I get every Sunday. And I don't like people sitting in my seat, taking my parking lot space, or eating my tacos. So I like it the way it is. That is the the tombstone of the church that dies. I like it the way it is. No, you don't. You don't like it the way it is because the city needs to be reached. People need to be reached. You need to get out of your comfort zone. You need to become that server, that person that builds people, heals people. How many of you are just very, very excited that you found this church? How, how many of you in this room right here, how many of you found healing of your body, soul, and spirit in this church? How, how many found a life turnaround? How many found their spouse in this church? How many of you want to find your spouse in this church? Raise your hand, all the women, all the men, and we'll just get, we'll get some stuff going here. The church, the church, living, powerful, reproducing, healing, gathering, helping. It's a church you're a part of. And because you get to enjoy it every Sunday with Courtney going off on his worship and the team up here is so happy. So you have, you're the happy church. Maybe you should change your name to the happy church. So you're the happy church. Everybody is so, you know, uh, vibrant and alive. Well, that's not in every church. You know, I could start naming some of the church atmospheres. 
but, but I'm not going to because some of them are deader than Julius Caesar. And so people don't think of the church in those things. They think of obligation. I got to go. I got to, you know, well, I won't do that. But, you know, I, I have to, I have to, but it's not a life changing situation. You're in a church that changes your life and your children's life. Some of your children are in the nursery with the children they might do life with. They might marry that person they're in the nursery with right now. Your children find purpose in this church. You young people. Can I hear an amen? amen? Okay, so the deal is is that the clock is broken. <laughs> so I don't know what time it is. So I'm going to have to go on Portland time. <laughs> Portland time is good. It's 9 o'clock right now. <laughs> so we can, we can milk this. Uh, now I understand you got another service coming. Uh, I just want to encourage this church. Are you doing uh, pledges and envelopes this morning? Yeah. Well, give me one. I'm going to make a pledge. And it's not going to be a, a, a check in my casket either. <laughs> I'm going to make a pledge because I believe in this church. I believe where you're going is right. And I believe God's in it. How many have your pledge cards? I see that hand. Is there one more? <laughs> All right. How many with your pledge card are thinking this morning, I'm going to give my best gift. I'm going to give, I'm going to break my comfort zone. I'm actually going to go out on the limb a little bit. Now, we have pledges, and some people, you know, a college student pledges 50,000. We don't count it. You know, we wait until he gets it, and then we count him. But some people do kind of funny pledges that are, are not even faith real. They're, they're fantasy. And if the money doesn't come in, then they, they don't give anything. You have to have faith for what God has given you, what you can put a plus by, what you can do to get there. You have to have faith that God's going to send some money in and help you with that. You have to have faith that what the Bible says you're going to actually cling to, you can't outgive God. You can't outgive him. And so either you have faith for that or you don't. But that is reality in the scripture. You can't outgive God. If you put a sacrificial seed in the ground, I'm telling you right now, that ground becomes holy. And things begin to happen in your life. It might not happen next week, but I'm telling you, things will be shifted around the seed that you sow, the faith that you sow, and you're sowing into such an amazing vision that this church has. Abraham had outrageous faith to take his only son up the mountain and was going to sacrifice that son. God would have never let him sacrifice the son, so that's a whole thing we could talk about. But when he raised his knife, the angel said, leave him alone. Don't, you're done. Don't touch the boy. God wanted to see where you would go with the best you have. Why? Because Isaac was a miracle child. A miracle child. 
He was, he was actually going to put a knife to a miracle. And God says, no, I got a lamb and the thicket. We'll take care of that. But Abraham, from this time forward, I'm going to change your name. And you're going to be a blesser of all nations. You're going to be blessed so that you can bless. I'm going to bless your servants. I'm going to bless your family. I'm going to, we are the seed of Abraham. That's what Romans 4 says. We're the seed of that man right there, the seed of Abraham. It's in us to give the best. It's in you. It's in you, already in you. I don't have to preach it into you. It's in you. You just have to bring it up. And then you have to go out on that sacrifice limb and say, well, we were planning on getting another car, but I mean, my wife and I gave our first big check, $3,000, when we were in our 20s, and we were saving to buy a house, and that was our house money. And so we had it, so we gave it, believing that God would take care of our desires for house. A story in itself on what happened with us. Every time you give out of a sacrificial what you have, and then sometimes what you don't have that you're giving. God comes in, and opportunity begins to take place. Would you bow your head right now? Every person here, just bow your head. And I want you to uh, pray one more time. I know you've been praying about it. And uh, I would think the ushers would want to give out these cards to anybody that doesn't have one. Would you lift your hand? If you don't have a card, it's in the back of your seat. It's in the back of your seat if you can find that. But if you can't, lift your hand, and an usher will give you a card. So you're actually holding a little bit of reality in your hand. We're talking about the, the, the money, the pledge that you're believing God for, for this building. We only need, I mean, honestly, it's a big number for you, but it's honestly not. 300000 I think, is what you're after. Is that right? 350. It's very doable for the size of church. I've done it. Uh, and we can get there and we can even go beyond. If everyone gets involved. If everyone gets involved. The, the very power of unity will carry it further. So let's pray right now. I'm not asking you. I'll let Daniel, if you want them to fill it out, whatever you want to say. But I wanted you to have it in your hand and then I want to pray for you right now. Father, we we simply kneel before you in our hearts and we recognize that you're an awesome God. You're a wonderful God. You're a wonder-working, miraculous God. You're good. You're so good we can't even really describe how good you are. You're a good, good God. We today thank you for the opportunity, the opportunity for us to actually Enlarge our expression in this city in such a way that is not, it is not beyond us. We're not doing something that is stupid. The building cost in light of this city and where we can enlarge, this is an amazing deal that has fallen into our hands. Lord, we're praying today that the people with faith, not with pressure and not with manipulation but with faith just begging the people to say what's in your heart what is the Holy Spirit saying to you how can I do this then watching God do a marvelous things with the alabaster boxes and the widows who had their oil and their 
corn buckets empty, but were filled again because of their sacrificial giving. Lord, I pray today that spirit comes over the entire congregation and we do mighty things, mighty things in the name of Jesus. Mighty, mighty things. Well, I pray that that word blessed you. If you'd like to know more about Grace Avenue Church or want to know more about how to be a part of what God has called us to here in the city of San Antonio, or if you'd like to sow financially into our vision and mission, please visit us online at graceavenuechurch.com. Thanks so much for listening. We hope to see you soon.